I'm sure you've all been aware that Queen Elizabeth died last week at the age of 96, so we have been doing our research to find out the time when her path crossed over into the world of space flight. It happened more than I realized. Hopefully we won't miss anything out. But if we have and you have something you'd like to share, please do so by getting in touch with us via our social media pages at Space and Things 1 on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or via the contact form on our website. Thank you very much for listening and we hope that you enjoy episode 107 of the Space and Things Podcast. You're listening to Space and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 107 of our podcast. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Just a crazy week in general. Uh, I know you guys had some have had some big stuff happening o- over on your side of the pond. It's been pretty crazy. The coverage is wall-to-wall here. I don't know what it's like out there. Uh, probably not the same. But so much coverage, it's making you wonder what we're missing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, it's historical, and, and, and I appreciate that. This hasn't happened in 70 years. We're not only saying goodbye to one monarch, but getting a new one Uh, so there's so much that we don't know about how this process works and it's been fairly fascinating fairly moving at times as well with all the tributes that are being paid it's an interesting time to be in this country that's for sure yeah i've watched a little bit of bbc one the last week and it's just all been queen elizabeth and prince you know prince charles i'm never gonna be able to call him king charles the (laughs) third I'm sorry, like my whole life I've called him Prince Charles and now it's like every time I'm like, yeah, Prince Charles and everybody's like, whoa, wait a minute, you missed it. Yeah. Like, oh, it's so it's, weird. It's going to take some getting used to. I wonder whether he it'll take him getting used to as well. It, it's such a big change, isn't it? Being Prince Charles for 70 odd years of your life and then all of a sudden you're king. It must be like, you know, what it's like to write checks when the year changes. Yes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. When you're at school and you have to put the date in the corner and it was a new year and you'd always get it wrong. Yeah, and you always write like 1999 and it's yeah. 2000. <laughs> you know, and you're like, gosh dang it. And then you have to rip the check up and start over. <laughs> it must be like that. He must be ripping up a lot of checks right now. No. That's all I'm saying. He probably doesn't That's have blasphemy. a checkbook. That's blasphemy. I'm sorry. No, I don't think he's got a checkbook. I think they, people just buy him stuff. That's oh, probably sure. how that works. He just is like, hey, I need this and they just buy him stuff and it, and it appears you know? yeah i'm sure and it shows up magically <laughs> within like an hour yeah that happens with me on amazon but uh, somehow i get billed for it you know that <laughs> happened to me yesterday actually with these earrings huh? i just basically i told them hey this is what i want and within a few hours it showed up so wow yeah i have it, no idea they thanks amazon for making me feel like a queen emily <laughs> like a queen yeah yeah <laughs> all right no it's it's all a very interesting time and it's really interesting when you're here in person obviously the news gives you one side of it it's, it's very one-sided and i went down to buckland palace the other night just because i was in the area and i thought I'd, it oh, was wow. so historical i thought I'd, i should pop in i'm not particularly a massive royalist i'm probably in the middle i think the debate probably needs to be had about the future of it and how it all works out i don't think the time is now but perhaps soon but there is definitely online there is some serious 
vitriol being aimed at the royal family right now and some of it is justified you know i think there's some some interesting stuff when you look back at our colonial past and people's thoughts about the the royal family's role in that so we're not going to talk about that today of course but i sometimes feel like the wall-to-wall coverage we're getting isn't even voicing that opinion at all that oh by the way Not everyone is a fan. Uh, even yeah, I noticed that there are massive fans, and people are, uh, absolutely adore her and uh, and the royal family and what it represents. But there's the other side yeah. of it as well, and I, I I think there's a way of reporting that without it being disrespectful, in my opinion. Yeah, I can't think of anything we have remotely close in the United States. I guess when Kennedy died, that that's it's a, a different very scenario, different scenario. Yeah, because he was a, he was murdered, you yeah. know, and uh, he was assassinated. But to me, that there's kind of a few similarities but it it's different because he wasn't installed in office by god yeah the whole thing is interesting and that i guess is what we're going to be focusing on today and the earth right out our front window So shortly after the news broke about the Queen dying last Wednesday, I messaged Emily and suggested that we have a look at the time when the Queen met the Apollo 11 astronauts. After a quick search on Google, I found a page on the Royal Family website where it says... The Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh are long-standing supporters of science, technology, engineering, and endeavour. Over the years, Her Majesty and His Royal Highness have marked key scientific milestones, particularly in space exploration. And what follows on that page is a timeline of some of the times when the Queen engaged with our world of spaceflight, starting in 1961 when she met Yuri Gagarin at Buckingham Palace and ending in 2015 when she sent a message to Tim Peake on the eve of his launch into space. Now, there's a couple of errors on that page of the Royal Family website, but we'll we'll let them off. But this got me exploring other events that took place. So I thought we'd just talk about a few of them. It's actually quite difficult to find out exactly what took place at some of these events or even the exact dates they took place. You'd think that a lot of these things would be well documented. But due to the fact that blogs and newspapers have since retold stories rather inaccurately at times, it's really quite difficult to know what and when things happened. Anyway, let's start with a meeting of Yuri Gagarin. This took place at a breakfast in Buckingham Palace in July 1961, just three months after his flight into space. He was in the UK from 11th to 15th July, but the exact date is not obvious anywhere. And in part because in 2011, a story was published in a biography about Gagarin by Lev Danikin. According to the book, Yuri only knew of kings and queens from fairy tales. And Vladimir Lebedev, who is a psychologist who worked with Yuri, is quoted as saying, Yuri told me he wanted so much to be sure that it was a real queen that he touched her under the table, slightly above the knee. So, of course, if you go online and search about the queen and Yuri Gagarin, most of the results are blog posts or trashy newspapers who retell the story about how Yuri broke royal protocol and shocked the queen by touching her leg. And some of these articles include exchanges between the two during breakfast where they talk about the huge amount of cutlery, etc., Now, while we have no proof either way of whether that happened or not, the Queen actually spoke about this meeting just a couple of years ago. In March 2021, the Queen was asked to join a Zoom call with scientists and schoolchildren to mark British Science Week. Dr. Maggie Adderin Pocock was hosting the meeting. You may know her from the British TV show called The Sky at Night. In her opening remarks, she says that she was inspired to get into space because she shared a birthday with Yuri Gagarin And she asked the Queen about that time she met him, 
And the queen said it was very interesting to meet him. And Dr. Adderin Pocock replied by saying, what was he like? And as quick as a flash, the queen replied, Russian, which got quite a laugh. And she went on to say, he didn't speak English. He was fascinating. And I suppose being the first one, it was particularly fascinating. Yeah, this story is really quite something. I, I quite enjoyed looking into this. The video of the Queen, I will put it in the show notes, is wonderful where she explains about how she said, when she said he was he was Russian. Uh, it got, got a laugh from everyone who was in that Zoom chat, that was for sure. I think the date was the 14th of July. But yeah, as I said, it's so difficult to find out about some of these things. Can you imagine that, Yuri, touching the Queen under the table? Yeah, it, it's really kind of sweet like you said you know i think a lot of blog posts have kind of cheapened it because it w- he wasn't trying to get fresh with her it was nothing like inappropriate maybe it did break royal protocol but i don't think he was trying to do anything i think it's very sweet because a lot of those early cosmonauts grew up during the war you know world war ii in russia and that was not a fun time for them um some of them saw some really bad stuff uh including gagarin i i think you know, some of them witnessed war crimes and things like that. So, yeah, it was really like an, a time of super austerity for them. And the Soviet system got rid of kings and queens. Him saying, you know, I didn't know kings and queens, you know, existed. I didn't know they were real other than in fairy tales. There's something very, like, kind of sad yeah. and poignant about that in a way. Like, It's believable, isn't it? It's actually believable yeah. that that was how his mindset was going into that meeting. Yeah, and plus he's in his 20s and, you know, he's young going into that too as well. You know, he he probably hasn't seen much of the world outside of, you know, the Soviet Union. Just there was something very sweet about it and kind of sad in a way because this was somebody who didn't have an easy time and is all of a sudden this huge celebrity and he's meeting the queen. Amazing. Yeah. So following that story, I found some other very loose evidence that Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman in space, also met the queen. But the only details I've found from this are a New York Times archive post, which says... London, February 5th, Captain Valentina Tereshkova, the world's first space woman, met Queen Elizabeth II today at Buckingham Palace. Yeah, there was nothing else I could find. There was, it was not included on the Royal Family website. I can't find any photos of this moment. So... We'll assume it happened, but who knows? Anyway, another moment which took <laughs> place in that decade, which isn't on the Royal Family website, was a visit to the palace by Apollo 8 Commander Frank Borman. Apollo 8 was obviously the first mission to take humans to the moon in December 1968. I had completely forgotten I knew about this. I found a reference for it online and a photo. But then I remembered a passage I read in Operation Moonglow, which is a book by Teasel Mule Harmony. We interviewed her back uh, in episode 29 about this. Borman was touring the world after the Apollo 8 flight. And here is the passage from the book about that meeting. During their audience with Queen Elizabeth at Buckingham Palace, Borman presented her with a framed reproduction of Earthrise, as well as a scale model of the Saturn V rocket. Prince Andrew, who was soon to be nine years old, and his younger brother Edward immediately unwrapped, then claimed the model for themselves. After they took it apart, Borman helped them put it back together, a gesture that seemed to disarm his host. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, Frankie. (laughs) Yeah, that's very unexpected for Frank Borman, but I'm sure he's a softie at heart. But you can imagine also that if they couldn't put the rocket back together, he would probably be quietly getting frustrated with them. 
So <laughs> may have also helped out just because it's like, look, this is how it goes. All right. <laughs> this bit yeah. goes there. <laughs> yeah. I was watching uh, years ago, the chasing the moon documentary and uh, it had Frank. This is kind of unrelated, but it had Frank Borman getting frustrated with a bunch of students. And I just about died. His facial expressions are just on point are just like hysterical i wish i could do that with my face oh my god he's my hero so the next big event and this one was on the royal family website was the famous visit of the crew of apollo 11 after they came back to earth and went on their world tour (laughs) sounds like they're a band or something (laughs) i'm sorry the apollo 11 band the date was October 14th, uh, 1969, and after heading to the U.S. Embassy, the crew and their wives went to the palace to meet the queen, Prince Philip, and their children, Princess Anne, Prince Andrew, and Prince Edward. Maybe King Charles III doesn't like astronauts. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, there are a number of stories from this visit. It was dramatized in the Netflix TV show The Crown, but I don't really feel that that was a good representation of how it all went, but perhaps worth a watch. Command module pilot Michael Collins told the Queen that he would like to take all the world's political leaders up about 100,000 miles, tell them to look back and see how there are no borders and how small the differences between nations really are. Buzz Aldrin on Twitter a few years ago said that Mike Collins almost fell down the stairs trying not to turn his back on the Queen. Dave... Did you once tell me that you heard Collins talk about this moment? I did. It was at the event I went to in Washington, D.C. on the 18th of July, 2019, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. Mike was being interviewed by Teasel Muir Harmony, whose book I mentioned earlier. I've got the clip here. Let me press play. Hopefully the audio is clear and you can hear it. So I'm going to press play. Are there any other meetings with um, with foreign leaders that stand out in your memory? I know you attended the Shah of Iran's birthday party and um, you met with the Pope and... Uh, the Queen of England. The Queen of England? Yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. The Queen of England and her husband, uh, Prince Philip, I believe. And uh, I, that was very, uh, well, there were a couple of reasons. First was we got a briefing, uh, and uh, we were told uh, you, you must never turn your back on the Queen or the Prince. Uh, now, don't worry about it. They're very practiced in this uh, in this sort of a, an arena, and they will awkward moments. Well, we had to ascend the staircase and three steps into it, there went the queen and there went the princess and my, you know, easy <laughs> Somebody, I got over in the, uh, in the princess side and uh, God, I really, I really liked him. I really admired him. I mean, with all the pomp and circumstance of, of England, Great Britain, London, and the whole bit, the boodle of it. There he stood with great dignity in a frayed collar. <laughs> now that's my kind of person. I'm, 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 sorry. <laughs> what a story, eh? Gotta love Mike. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's that's wonderful. When I heard Mike's voice start, I. I I know this is about royalty, but I almost started crying because I just miss hearing that guy like at events, you know, because when he talked, you're like, oh, my God, that's my God. Oh, my God. Absolutely. That was awesome. That was wonderful to hear that. Anyway, the visit certainly throws out some stories. Armstrong was apparently suffering a cold and considered skipping the trip to the palace. But his wife, Jan, 
Didn't like the idea, Armstrong later recalled. She told me that if I had to be embalmed, we were going to the palace. She wanted to see the place. Damn. <laughs> okay, baby, I guess we're seeing it then. Dang. Wow. Okay, Janet. So, of course, they went along, but when he tried to thank the queen for her hospitality, he coughed on her. Oh, my God. And then while trying to apologize for this, he ended up coughing on her some more. <laughs> Poor Neil. Apparently, the queen responded by lifting her hands in mock surrender. All of the astronauts had been on record to say that they were amazed at the line of questioning they had from the Queen, in which she showed a great deal of knowledge about the space program. They also presented the Queen with a replica of the disc that they took to the moon, which had messages from the leaders of 73 countries, which was left on the moon. The Queen's message read, On behalf of the British people, I salute the skills and courage which have brought man to the moon. May this endeavor increase the knowledge and well-being of mankind. Although recently in the British National Archives, it has emerged that the Queen was reluctant to include a message. A note by her private secretary at the time said, Her Majesty agrees that this idea is a gimmick and is not the sort of thing she much enjoys doing, but she certainly would not appear churlish by refusing an invitation, which is so obviously well-intentioned. <laughs> wow. That's kind of surprising in a way, like, that it shows that she had some kind of integrity that she didn't want to bring like any attention to herself. Does yeah, that make absolutely. sense? Yeah, yeah. She didn't want the story to be the queen turns down America. Yeah. And plus, I think she was kind of modest and that I don't want to be included. I don't know. That's kind of neat. I honestly did not know that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's a cool story. So there you have the story of the queen and Apollo 11. Yeah, it was cool how she met the first of so many things, right? In the 60s, you know, Yuri, Valentina, apparently, Frank Borman, and then the Apollo 11 crew. I think that's a really great thing that, to say that the Queen of England in that decade met all of those people. That is incredible. They met a lot of really heavy hitters. And the thing that's really kind of neat is some of those people are still alive. Obviously, they're in their 90s or pushing 90. Yeah. That's just incredible that we still have people who are sort of survivors from that era. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to hear Valentina Tereskova talk about it, actually, because she, she's a little bit younger as well. She's early not, early 80s, I think, at the moment. Yeah. And I'd love to find out more about whether that actually happened or not, because I really couldn't find anything about it. Yeah, I don't think German Titov met the Queen. My guess is they were probably like, hell no, we're not going to let him meet the Queen. Nah. Yeah, we don't want England to, like, bomb us or something like that. So they probably just was like, no, nah, we're not letting him go over there. It's okay. Oh <laughs> Okay, so that's the section where the Queen met people who did things first. But it then gets a little bit quiet, and I couldn't find any story about the Queen in space until 1983, when she was visiting California on a state visit, and her and Prince Philip visited the Rockwell International plant, where parts of the space shuttle were being built. On that trip, they got to have a look inside the Apollo 14 command module, and then they entered a space shuttle flight simulator. At first, the Queen was in the pilot seat and the Prince sat behind, while the automatic pilot brought the spacecraft down from 25,000 feet to land at Kennedy Space Center. And then the two swapped places, and the Prince, who was a keen pilot, took control of the stick and landed the shuttle, although I've not seen any evidence that he actually landed it successfully. We'll never know, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, you can land the space shuttle as many times as you want, but, you know, it depends on what kind of landing you make. 
On May 21st, 1991, the Queen and Prince Philip visited Johnson Space Center in Houston. The Queen spoke to astronaut Mike Fole, who holds dual British-American citizenship, and she asked why food did not float off the plate when astronauts ate in space, and Fole explained that it was the surface tension which held the food in place. Uh, the couple watched a simulated space flight. They were hoping to watch the launch of Columbia, but surprise, surprise, the <laughs> shuttle launch was scrubbed. There are some great photos of this trip, and I'm sure Dave has included one on our Instagram this week, so check that out. Yep, I sure have. There was one further visit to a NASA site. The Queen visited NASA Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland on the 8th of May 2007. Mike Fole once again accompanied her into the flight center's operational control room, where she talked to the crew of the three who were on board the International Space Station at the time. Cosmonauts Fyodor Yurchikin and Oleg Kotov and NASA astronaut Sunita Williams. There's a video of this exchange, but it doesn't show the Queen talking to the crew, but listening intently before asking Mike Fole about his six space flights. I'll put that video in the show notes. Also, uh, astronaut Mike Massimino, who we had on the, the podcast before, he said that his crew, STS-125 crew, met the Queen during that visit. And she was oh, wow. really interesting. I actually remember on the podcast that him and Garrett Reisman were doing, they had an episode where they talked about people they met and he told the story about him meeting the Queen. Go and find that story. I remember it being really good. Mike's a great storyteller, so find it. Yes. And of course, we can't forget that the Queen also met other Brits who went to space. There are a few occasions when she met the first Briton in space, Helen Sharman, who went to space in 1991 aboard the Russian space station Mir. In 2002, the two toured the National Space Center in Leicester in England. During her remarks at the museum, the Queen said, I have travelled widely, but I hope I will be forgiven for having limited my tour to the Earth's surface. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's cute. In 2018, the Queen honoured Charmin by making her a companion of the Order of St. Michael and St. George, CMG, for her services to science and technology. And then, of course, there is Tim Peake. The night before his launch to space in 2015, she sent him this message. Prince Philip and I are pleased to transmit our best wishes to Major Timothy Peake as he joins the International Space Station in orbit. We hope that Major Peake's work on the space station will serve as an inspiration to a new generation of scientists and engineers. Upon returning, Peake presented the Queen with the British flag that was on his spacesuit when he performed his spacewalk. This is the first British flag to be worn in the vacuum of space. I imagine that that was a memento which Pete would very much like to have kept for himself, but I suppose if you're going to give it to anyone, giving it to the Queen is probably the person you'd want to have it. Exactly. You know, that seems like you'd want to give it to somebody very special. And and, and plus, it's you know, it's the flag. The, the fact that Great Britain, you know, has had a presence in space is very special. You know, and I hope people recognize that that, you know, that's amazing. It has influenced a generation of young people to get into space flight, including you. So that's really amazing. It's a special thing. I, you can see why Tim Peake, who's a military man, would value giving that flag to the Queen above all else. You know, that that to him would be the highest honor he could have is meeting the Queen and, yep. and doing something in service of the Queen. That's what the military's all about. It's all about Queen and country and, well, now King and country, of course. Yeah. The thing is, I'm former military in the United States and we don't have a monarch. We have the president. I think the relationship's a little different. It's more more about the country and the flag, isn't it? That, that's yeah. the more the symbolism. And I suppose the monarch for us is is that 
equivalency for our military. I think in the United States, it's more about sort of honor duty country type of thing, not necessarily a president or like a a leader of any kind. But I never really thought of it that way. It's a it's a little different context here. Like you'd probably want to give your flag to like your parent or something or somebody who inspired you. But I could see why he gave it to the queen. Definitely. Absolutely. So we'll give the final words of this section to Major Tim, who tweeted this week saying this. A remarkable woman. Thank you, Mom, for a lifetime of service and dedication. I think that we have to understand that at the deepest possible level, opening the high frontier means making possible and ensuring the survival of the human race. Right, this week's spaceflight news. Since we last recorded, there have been three successful launches, one in French Guiana, one in Florida, and one in China. Details of all of those launches and their payloads can be found in the show notes, which, as we said, can be found every week on our website, spaceandthingspodcast.com, or check the direct link in the description of this episode on your podcast provider. The launch in Florida was a Falcon 9 launch by SpaceX, and it broke a few records. It was the first time that one of their first stage boosters had been reused 14 times, and it successfully landed once again. Also, this mission required five engine burns to get the payload into orbit. That's the first time the company has done this with a Falcon 9 rocket. The payload was the heaviest it has launched yet, weighing 3,300 pounds or 1,500 kilograms in normal money. Oh, my God. (laughs) And normal money. (laughs) All right. There was also a launch failure this week. Uh, Blue Origin attempted to launch one of their new Shepard rockets from their launch site in West Texas. This one did not have a crew on board, but it was carrying some scientific experiments for a suborbital flight. One minute and five seconds after launch, the capsule on top of the rocket activated its emergency escape system, pulling it away from the booster below just before that appeared to have a major malfunction at about 30,000 feet. The capsule made it back to Earth safely under its parachutes. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration has grounded any future flights pending an investigation into what may have happened. I'm grateful that the abort system worked. I don't know if any experiments were damaged or anything, but to my knowledge, everybody probably got everything back, which is nice. You know, they didn't lose any payloads, hopefully. And if people had been on board, yeah, they would have had probably a sporty ride. They wouldn't have been liking life for a few minutes or so, but um, they would have made it alive. So it did what it was supposed to do. The system worked. I've seen a few, obviously, on, on social media, some Monday morning quarterbacking. <laughs> but I, I'm confident that Blue Origin will probably obviously work out what happened with the booster before they fly it again. And everybody's like, well, the FAA is investigating them. That's normal. Of course they are. Yeah, of course. That's their job. They're supposed to do that. It's not a negative necessarily. Yeah, uh, especially on a rocket which is all already human rated. It would have to investigate the same they do with planes when they go down. Exactly. Yeah, that's, you know, they have to investigate those kinds of things. So that's not necessarily a negative. That's a, hey, we're trying to figure out what happened. You know, that that's good. You, you want to figure out what happened. So hopefully it doesn't happen again. But the capsule got away. I was very impressed by that because, honestly, one of my concerns with just any suborbital flight, I'm like, is, the, you know, what if it goes wrong? Are they coming back? How do we know that? And this worked. If it had been a space plane that had suffered, like a jet had fired and all of a sudden it exploded, they would have lost everybody. Yeah, I was thinking the same, actually. This at least has the option of getting the crew away. 
and it would have done had there been a cruise. You said it wouldn't have been comfortable, but they potentially would have survived, which is incredible when you actually see the footage. I know we bang on about this a lot, but I'm getting so wound up with people comparing one company or one country to the next. Yeah, it's ridiculous, I think. Every company has had failures. Every company or country has successes. They're all on different paths. They're all at different areas of their development. A lot of them have different goals, too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Completely different goals. You know, some companies are not, you know, they're not interested in launching people to the moon or people to Mars or something like that. So it's kind of unfair to compare, like, kind of what Blue Origin is doing right now at their point in history with, like, what SpaceX is doing or with what other companies are doing or what NASA is doing, because I feel like, they're pursuing different things. Yeah, they want to pursue orbital flight, you know, and they're developing that. But yeah, I'm sick of the comparisons. You know, it's like comparing two people. <laughs> of course, they're going to be different. They're completely separate people. You may have things yeah. in common. That's nice, but it doesn't mean you're going to like everything the same. And there may be one which is further along their development and doing bigger and better things than others at this moment. But that doesn't mean the other company isn't successful for what it's doing or you know isn't doing a good job or whatever it is. And the company which might be doing the biggest successful things also has blown a load of stuff up. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's yeah. put it in perspective here, shall we? I just think it's just the toxicity of like social media sometimes. And I love yeah. social media. I think it's very useful to disseminate good information, but at the same time, you know, among some people, there's just this very toxic competitiveness. Like, you know, they're going to hate anybody who's doing better than them or whatever, doing something different than them. Let's just do our stuff and coexist happily. It doesn't have to be a competition, but that's how a lot of people see it with spaceflight. Absolutely. Right. Artemis 1 will have another launch attempt on the 27th of September with a backup date of October 2nd on standby. They've managed to fix the leaky seals on the two fuel lines over the weekend without the rocket having to be rolled back to the vehicle assembly building as we speculate may have to happen last week. NASA are planning on doing a fueling test on September 21st to check these lines before the launch attempt on 27th of September. That all sounds pretty positive to me. Yeah, I'm hoping to get down to the next launch attempt. We'll see. We'll see if I can get down there or not. I really would like to see it go. Yeah. And while we talk about Artemis, NASA has announced which company will be providing the suits for the Artemis 3 mission, the first lunar landing mission since, with people on it since, oh my God, Apollo 17. In June, NASA announced that it selected two companies, Axiom Space and a team lead by Collins Aerospace to develop spacesuits for its future missions in a deal worth $3.5 billion through to 2034. Part of that is a $228.5 million award to provide suits for the first mission, and Axiom has won that award. I think that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of caught off guard. I was expecting Collins to get it. Yeah, I find it really interesting. They've gone with a, yeah, the, the company that hasn't done it before. It'd be interesting to see the reasons why they've done that. Uh, I haven't seen what's been put out 
I'm sure it has been put out, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, me neither. I haven't seen it. Collins Aerospace are still developing suits for the program, which I'm sure will be used later on. It may be that the briefs they were given were for different parts of the mission. For example, and again, I'm speculating, maybe the suits that are going to be used for mining or some of the harder work that's done on the moon, perhaps, uh, they're going to be developed by Collins, whereas just the general day-to-day exploration ones are being done by Axiom. That's pure speculation but that's how i'm trying to justify this announcement in my head yeah because i'm like are they going to carry separate sets of spacesuits because if they have a lunar gateway they might have space for them like i know with apollo they only had one set of suits with them they just didn't have room for you know a bunch of different eva suits on board you know it was a space thing if anybody's seen you know what they were in they didn't have a lot of room so i don't know that that's interesting i'm i'm wondering how they're going to do it as well So we will see. And finally, NASA, in their great wisdom, asked the Internet to suggest names for their probe, which they are intending on sending to Uranus in 2031. Oh, no. Although it will take 13 years to get there once it's launched. You can imagine that there have been some rather hilarious examples. And please let us know your (laughs) favourites. Personally, I really like the Shakespeare references. Uh, Some of the moons of that planet are named after Shakespeare's characters. Did you know that? I did not know that. No, I've tried to avoid anything about Uranus. (laughs) So It will be the first mission since Voyager 2, though, which is pretty cool. And this one won't just be a flyby. This will be one that's similar to Cassini and Juno on Saturn and Jupiter will actually go into orbit of that planet. So, unfortunately, it's a long way off. I'm going to be in my 60s before this thing gets there. So, oh my God, these pictures better be fire. I hope I'm still alive by then. (laughs) I'm going to be sitting in my deathbed like, oh my God, Uranus. Give me more of Uranus. (laughs) I need more Uranus. Hey, nurse, I need to see more of Uranus. And then that's when they're like, Ma'am, Grandma, it's time to go back to bed. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, let me recover from having to say Uranus like 30 <laughs> times. Oh, my God. We have, we have no intention of competing with the professionals, baby. That's it for this week. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode, and we'll be back next week with more Space and Things. Thank you for sharing again, and thank you for your continued support. Yeah, thanks very much. We really appreciate you listening. But don't forget, in space, no one can hear you stream. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.